Grow your business from News Talk with Gavin McLaughlin. Thanks to Euronext Dublin, the new home of the Irish Stock Exchange, supporting business for over 200 years. Hello and welcome to the first edition of the Grow Your Business podcast. I'm Gavin McLaughlin and I'm here to help your business make money. We're going to be mining the knowledge of Ireland's top business people to give you the tips and tricks you need to make your business grow. If you want to get in touch, you can email us at growyourbusiness at newstalk.com. You can also contact me on Twitter at Gav McLaughlin. Today, we're looking at entering new countries and I'm joined by Derek Moles, Managing Director for Asia at PM Group. He's going to be talking about doing business in China. And also with us is David Walsh, Chief Executive of Netwatch, who's going to be providing his tips for business in the US. First though, David, tell us a bit about Netwatch. Well, Netwatch is a Carlo-based company. We specialise in remote video surveillance. What that means in very simple English is that from our hub in Carlo, we've got a connection to our clients' security cameras all over the world. Uh, And we've developed a very smart technology that sits behind the camera, recognising what is deemed to be unacceptable behaviour, criminal behaviour. And if it is criminal behaviour, I think what's unique about Netwatch is that we can intervene there and then, challenge an intruder trying to break into a property with a live personalised audio warning clearing them from the property. The whole premise behind the Netwatch system. What does the audio warning say? I love this idea. Sometimes it says you in the blue hoodie, which a lot of <laughs> Dublin people <laughs> laugh about. But the, the, the main point is that the, the audio is, the warrants are personalised. The individuals in question know that they're being watched and there's no upside in keeping going. So the Very whole good. premise is crime prevention. Yeah, and, and what markets are you in at the minute? Uh, from day one, we wanted to go global in Netwatch. We started in 2003. Our core markets are Ireland, United Kingdom and United States of America, albeit that we have customers across four continents. Now, Derek, you're going to be talking to us uh, about China. Uh, same question to you. Tell us about PM Group. Okay. Delighted to. Um, so PM Group are an international project delivery company headquartered here in Ireland. And it's building projects we're talking about, isn't it? It's hi- kind of high-tech complex. factories, isn't that what the you focus The more complex, in? the better for us. Um, we're a little bit unique, uh, I'd say, in relation to some of our competitors in that we're 100% employee-owned, which is a very strong kind of message, especially when you're going somewhere like China. And yeah, China and quite rare. Uh, it is. With all the, the Irish corporate scene. Indeed. And with all the M&As that you see, you know, companies are getting bigger and bigger we've kind of maintained that's one of our kind of our core core yeah. values is to remain employee owned so we deliver projects uh, right across the globe um, went international just over 25 years ago so 60 plus percent of our business is in pharmaceuticals biopharmaceuticals uh, food and beverage medical device medical technologies and what we call mission critical which are data centres we do quite a lot of work in yeah that. yeah and obviously a rapidly yeah. grown area here Indeed. Uh, now David um, before a company decides what market it's going to expand to, I suppose it has to get to the point where it decides, well, we want to do business uh, abroad. So talk to me uh, a bit first about that decision. When did you decide this was something that Netwatch was ready for? Well, we decided before we started that we were going to build a global organisation. Uh, and because you have to put it in context, when Netwatch started in Carlo, it grew from the ashes of three great organisations, the sugar company, Braun and Lample which between them had contributed 150 years to the fabric of Carlow society. Now, my own background was I worked in a fantastic livestock feeding company called Keenan's, again based in a small place called Burris in County Carlow, which is an internationally grown organisation that built a, a, a huge database of farmers across the world that they were helping. So when we started Netwatch, it was a natural thing for us to do, was to think about growing global. 
And, and we joked day one that when we left the island of Ireland, we would go west as opposed to the east. We'd go to the United States as opposed to the UK. But like many Irish uh, companies, you get uh, involved in the UK because Irish customers have depots there and properties yeah. there, and we got sucked into that, if you like. And, and then in 2011, we made the big jump. We decided, right smack in the middle of the recession, we decided we would do what many an Irish man had done before uh, and gone to the United yes. States. It was a big gamble at the time for us, but one that we believed would work. Uh, and people ask me, why the United States? And I think we, we the Netwatch system is a high-value proposition, like Derek was saying about their product. Uh, and we felt that there was a natural alignment between the culture of our organisation and the, 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 the general culture of the United States, albeit that the United States is like 50 different countries speaking yes. one language in one block, which is very good. Very interesting. Yeah, we get on to that in a minute. But the, the first thing I, I wanted to ask you about was, like the Irish corporate scene is littered with examples of, of, of companies who tried to crack America and mm-hmm. it didn't really uh, work out for them. So what was it uh, that made you think you could succeed there? Well, I think we, we did a number of things in advance of moving to the States. One was that we uh, built our own in-house R&D department, which was critically important. So we had some unique technology to go with our story. Secondly, we changed our business model. In the early days, we used sell equipment to a client and then charged them what we discovered, decided, what we considered to be a modest fee for the, for the modern services. And then in the height of the recession, we said, why don't we give away all the equipment for free? and charge our customers for the relationship over a five-year contract. So it's a SaaS-type model. And we believed, as good as we are at telling our stories, particularly in the United States, that, you know, asking for somebody, a stranger, for a couple of hundred thousand up front for the CapEx might be a barrier to entry. So that's certainly that that uh, uh, managed service model was hugely important to us. And finally, we said, that in order to build credibility for the Netwatch system in the United States, we needed to bring on board somebody on our board of directors that had credibility themselves. So we're very, very fortunate that in 2011, the former chief of police of Boston, a lady by the name of Kathleen O'Toole, joined the Netwatch board. And then to complement that, we had a huge launch in Boston College Club with the then Taoiseach in the Kinney launched our business. And that gave us a springboard that very few Irish companies get. And we can be quite cynical here in Ireland in terms of the importance of political figures, particularly in the United States, but they are hugely important. And we've worked with Enterprise Ireland over the years to launch in different areas. And that presence of the Prime Minister of your country endorsing your business gives you serious credibility. And we drove on from there. We opened an office in New York shortly afterwards. Now we have five very large offices across the United States both on the East Coast, the West Coast and down south in Texas. And I suppose the fundamental business case was, look, there's a lot of uh, industrial premises there, uh, things like that. There's lots of potential customers. I mean, who are who are your, your, your customers? Is it factories? Is it shops? Uh, well, to, to, to your point earlier on about many Irish companies went to the States and didn't make it happen, I think we, we, we were very clear in terms of our strategy that we were going to have a very narrow focus. We weren't going to try to be all things to all people. One of the challenges of the United States of America, and a bit like China, is the scale of the United States and, and, and China. So trying to do all things to all people can be very expensive. So, so we decided two things. Geographically, we would concentrate on the Northeast region rather than trying to go all yeah. over the countryside. Initially, the plan always was to expand from there. And secondly, we would, con- we would, we would uh, contain our market and spend to four key verticals. We do an awful lot in what's known as the, the automobile industry. We work very closely with utility companies, the power telecoms companies. We work very closely with the aggregates, in other words, the, the CRHs of this world, 
companies that feed into the construction industry, not the construction industry itself. And finally, something that has come on the scene recently in the United States of America is that marijuana is being legalised for medicinal purposes across many states. And again, the Netwatch solution is a high quality solution completely aligned to their needs. So that's where we spent our marketing books. And again, in the early days, and again, where Irish companies may you know, have fallen foul is that we decided to change our strategy over there in terms of we were direct selling initially just to get those key customers up and running, yeah. kind of iconic uh, customers, the likes of Catlin O'Toole, her credibility added to that. Within weeks of kicking off in, in, in Boston, we had MIT, Master and Hospital, Bernardi Motors. These are iconic names in the, in the Northeast region of the United States. Uh, and from there, we decided to move on using strategic partners. And from there, we got involved in some uh, M&A activity buying two companies last year, which is, uh, I guess, the springboard for the next phase of our evolution. Derek, you're uh, listening to David talk mm. here. Uh, tell me how your experience uh, compares to, to some of the issues he's raised yeah. there. It's very interesting and quite similar in terms of your offering and you go to a large market, whether it's the US, we're in the US also, we're, we're in Central Europe, we're in Poland, we're in the UK. Um, with us as well, it's a very targeted approach. You have to have a very targeted approach if you don't have infinite resources and infinite uh, funds when you're making that investment. With us, we looked at ourselves and said, we want to be an international company, you know, 25 years ago. We actually said, we are an international company, but 85% of our business is in Ireland. And if you look at our client base, we're working Johnson Johnson for nearly 30 years, GSK mm. for nearly 30 years. We're delivering an enormous portfolio of projects for MSD at the moment in the billions. You know, what they're investing now, MSD are investing more than any pharmaceutical company has ever invested at this moment in time. So we had the client base. We just needed to follow our clients into these new geographic locations. So it was a very smooth way of entering into a market with a client that you know on the back of one or two flagship projects so, you can build around yeah. that. So, so tell me the specifics then about what yeah. brought you into China because, you know, I mentioned uh, about the US and, and other Irish companies sure. uh, having problems. China, though, has to be more daunting in one sense in that you know, at least in the States, they speak the same language. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, that's true. And I've been living in China for six years and I still don't fully speak the language unless I'm in a restaurant or I'm in a social setting. It's not my language for, for doing business in. But yes, there is a there is a, daunt, a daunting effect. A lot of research. You need to do a lot of research. You can't just suddenly decide to go into a, a, an economy like or in a business environment like China without doing intensive um, research. Research on what kind of things? On how business is done. You know, how business is done, the challenges of doing business, licensing, these kind of things, um, the taxation, all of that kind of background. You can, you'd have to fully, fully, fully understand that. You have to have quite a reasonable amount of registered capital as well to set up. Also, the ways of you can enter the market. So there's kind of softer ways of entering the market initially to test it. And that's what we did. We went in using what's called a sponsorship route. We went in on the back of one key project that was finished 10 years ago for Wyatt right. Nutritional, huge, big infant nutritional facility. We partnered with a company already in China. They sponsored us to come in. And off the back of that project then, we decided, right, we can do business here. We can deliver projects here. And we, we set up a, a Woofy then in 2011. Okay, now uh, a Woofy, what's that? Wholly owned foreign enterprise. So it's a, we're a wholly owned foreign enterprise in China. We've, we've a registered business name. and We're a registered business, registered capital. Um, and we set up our own individual business in China. And, and this is... Uh, there are rules obviously surrounding this. You need to have this if you want to do certain things, is Correct. it? Um, so tell me a bit about and that. And the rules are very specific in China, you know, in terms of you could go into business in the US and you could say, I'm David Incorporated and I can do pretty much anything I like. In China, you must, your business license says, you know, you are licensed 
perform the following services. So you need to get that right. You know, say I'm a design company. If you don't put the word construction in there, you know, three years down the road, you want to do some construction, you'd have to change your business license. So again, people get tripped up by these things. So that's where your research comes in. And the likes of um, working very closely with with our agencies. I mean, they do such amazing work, Enterprise Ireland especially, over there. They can help companies. I mean, that's it. Take advice. Do your Sometimes the best research you'll do is go talk to somebody else who's already done the research, you know. And that's, um, what, and that's what we're yeah, doing here. That's exactly. what we're doing here. And just as you we, say, we, like, we talk about lessons. We have a thing called lessons captured and transferred. Yeah. It's not too much. Le- you can learn, but that's not good if you don't capture the lessons and transfer them. Mm-hmm. To, I'll transfer sure. a lesson to David and he might transfer them back to me. Yeah. You know? Could probably all do with having a few lessons transferred to us. In, now, indeed. You mentioned Project One was uh, with Wyatt. Um, so then you have to make the decision to do Project 2 and, and, and you felt Project 1 had gone well. So how did Project 2 go about? I mean, it strikes me, you know, maybe do you do another thing with the, the crowd you had partnered up with? What happened? So we did. We continued on with that partnership in the early days. Uh, our second project was for Abbott, so very in the related industry. So that was a great way in delivering large-scale, complex projects and these were in the food sector, so it was infant nutritionals specifically because China had decided to bring in these brands and China for China. They still import a lot of um, baby and infant formula. You may read about that. Um, so it was a great way of getting in there. Uh, in addition, we started delivering other services in the pharmaceutical sector um, uh, for Novartis back, back in 2007 also. So we kind of tested the pharma, tested the food, and then we built up our team, built up our experience, and then it was time to go it yeah. on our own. And it's another example of start narrow and kind of uh, go go slow to go there. fast. Someone said, which was a, yeah. a good analogy I heard quite recently. David, um, when you started in the US, what were your expectations? Well, we, we were aware, and we had the history of what we had achieved in Ireland and the UK. So we were very excited in terms of in terms of the opportunity. Uh, and and I said earlier on, we we just felt that because of the natural culture in the United States in terms of customer service that our value proposition would be well received and that's the way it turned out to be. As I said, we, we started on the East Coast but it was always our plan and always our strategy to move to the West Coast and to move down south in terms of Texas because they're, they're huge markets. Sure. We, we tend to forget, like Texas alone is probably 10 times bigger than Ireland, maybe even more than that, you know, so there's incredible scale. So we believe if we got our price and strategy right, if we got our, our value proposition right, if we got our route to market right, which is critically important in a very large market, then we could crack it and that's that's the way it's panned out uh, to date, and we we we're looking at some really really high growth figures in the United States of America. We have five hundred and fifty staff in the organisation now, of which three hundred and fifty odd are based in the United States. So there must have been something though uh, that panned out as you didn't expect. Oh, there are several things. There's lots of learnings along the way, and I think the key is how you learn from those lessons. For instance, I mentioned earlier on that we the, the the United States is like fifty different countries speaking the one language, uh, but they don't actually. They, 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 we we all have a different form of English. So it's very funny actually. When we were making our initial presentations in in the boardrooms of corporate America. They'd be a, a, a burst out of laughter every so often because we'd make some reference to a JCB or something that they never heard of. So even though we speak a general language, the difference was uh, was was there are there are differences there too. But I think uh, going back to your point earlier on about some Irish companies uh, uh, not really making it there, I think you know even when we put our budgets together based on our best information, it it is it takes quite probably about twice the time and twice the cost to get what you expect to get. 
Yeah. But again, once you start making those early gains and you start getting really high quality customers and those customers start rolling out your solution within their organisations, then you know you're there. But uh, I, would, I would hate to give the impression that it was all easy. Not everything fell into plan and we do suffer from retrospective rationalisation where we look back and pretend that everything fell into place as it was. We were, we were absolutely clear about the vision. We were clear about the strategy. There were some setbacks along the way when a big organisation didn't go for the network system. But we just stuck at it. And we, I think what's critically important in any organisation, in any market, is that when you surround yourself with great people, people who actually genuinely believe in the vision of the organisation, the strategy, the ambition, then great things happen. And now, again, in the United States, it, there's a lot of uh, kissing of princes that turns out to be frogs instead of the other way around. And again, that's, that's part of the skill set for, from Irish uh, companies going to the States is to be able to get really good staff because a lot of people in the United States are extremely good at selling themselves and yes. then, you know, don't leave a whole pile for the marketplace. But again, that is, to your point earlier on, there are some of the lessons you learn as you go along the road. And, you, and you, like we, we do very intensive reference checks for every single person going to the organisation. Not just their previous employers, which tends most people talk about, but we do reference checks for their previous customers. So if Derek says to me that he, he closed a big deal with Procter & Gamble, Right. Well, we we will check with Procter and Gamble to make okay. sure, because of all the functions in any organisation, but particularly in the United States, the sales function is critical. So, if you get the right people in there with the right attitude and the right ambition, then great things can happen. You mentioned uh, the customer service culture uh, that's there. Can you tell me a little bit more about what that's like? Because I suppose Irish people have a, a, a reputation as being friendly, uh, open, etc. And that, that might be useful uh, when, when it comes to, to the US. Um, but I'm interested to, to kind of figure out what the differences are uh, when it comes to customer service requirements. Well, 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 to your first point, being Irish is very important in the United States. And it does open doors, but it doesn't close deals. It'll get you in to make a presentation in the, in the, in the boardrooms of very large organisations, but you need a really well-defined value proposition behind it. You need to be very, very clear in terms of how our, our organisations can help these large organisations. Uh, and again, we joke about this internally in Netwatch. In Ireland, in terms of customer service, you will probably get away with two sorries if you, when you drop the ah. ball, right? That does not exist in the United States. They will buy into your vision, they'll buy into your mission statement, they'll buy into your customer service ethos, but you get one chance. Yeah. You know, and I, think that's, I think that's critically important. But the great side of it, if you deliver on the first chance, they roll it out. Let me give you a perfect example. We dealt with a large company in, in, in New Jersey, gave them a price structure. They had 10 different sites. Uh, and then they came back to us and said, look, we're going to roll it out on all our sites in New York. Our, our salesman said to them, okay, I'll go out and I'll do a survey and get you a price. He said, for what? He said, we know your price structure. Just go out and, and, and implement and deliver, install them. If you were here for another thousand years, that wouldn't happen in Ireland. The right. se- in fact, the second deal becomes harder because now you have to get better prices and so on and so forth. Yeah, 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 but yeah, that's, yeah. That's, I think that's the big thing about the United States. They will buy into your customer services. They expect you to deliver. If you don't, you're in trouble. But if you do deliver as per your, your promises, well, then they will roll it out. Now, we spoke, Derek, a bit about the language uh, and, and things like that. And you... Uh, mentioned that it's very important to do your research on how business is done in China. So how is business done? Um, very hard to summarise how is business done. Like projects are delivered as they are globally. You know, projects are delivered. They've got different nuances. There's a lot of things like um, very stringent, you mightn't think this, but there's very, very, very stringent permitting requirements. Mm. Way more stringent than we would have, say, in Ireland. I think the further east you go, the, the amount of paper and uh, uh, steps you have to go through uh, increase, um, you know, thrice fold. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a very strict way of going about it 
uh, going about designing and building facilities. So that, that that's number one. You have to know that way, you know, because you have to follow that way. If you don't follow that way, you'll fail. So like with businesses going to the US, there are quite a number of clients that have gone to China and failed. They've, they haven't been able to do what they were set out yeah. to do in their business case. So that's that. But it goes back to what David said about people. So with, with us, we have some very, very good people. We have an extremely high retention rate. We have the same, mm. our number one employee, John Jang, and he'd be very happy that I've mentioned his name. <laughs> number one employee, John Jang, is still with us today and he's an associate director and PM, you know, um, and it's all about people mm-hmm. and those relationships. So it's good people, good timing and making good decisions. Um, but like anywhere else, there's nuances. We deliver projects in, in Russia and in Poland. You need to know how things work and then get good people with you to, to, mm. to work it. It's as simple as that. Uh, no, it's not as simple as that, but <laughs> that's, it should be as simple as that, yeah. you know. Uh, David mentioned something about the US, about uh, th- there's kind of an, exist- an existing cultural tie uh, between here and the US. China doesn't really have that. No, but, but, but when I say the Chinese are very, very interested in, in Ireland, A, because we're so small, if you put a red dot on Ireland to show where your office is, you actually blank out the whole country on the world map. <laughs> So you put a red dot in Shanghai, it gives you a sense of the scale. They really like Ireland's culture, Ireland's history, and we've kind of, they align with it, they like it, they're very interested in it, because they've got a very, very, very deep culture and a very, very deep history, and they're very, very proud of that. They like to talk about it. So that alignment is good. Um, Literature, music, food, education, they see Ireland as being a very, very strong brand globally Mm -hmm. for that, and you see the amount of work that, that happens behind the scenes on that. So... They get Ireland, they like it, and they like us. They think we're, we're nice people. Chinese people like to trust people. Trust is hugely important and not having any fears at all, you know, and that kind of thing. So it's a very trust-based, um, a little bit different than a relationship at a company mm. level, but on an individual <coughs> level, it's a very trust-based society. So we kind of use that. I think, you know, you find your angle, and, and we have a great story, I think, coming from yeah. from Ireland. We are different. We're not the French, the Germans, the you know, the English. We are different. And people pick up on that. People pick up on that. What about the social nuances? Because if I was going, um, you know, to meet somebody in Boston, mm. I might say, right, well, I go in, I shake hands with everyone. You know, I'd be, f- I can be free enough in the language I use. Uh, it's formal, it's informal. You, you kind of have a reasonable idea. Whereas I think for a lot of people... They wouldn't actually know uh, how no, to behave no, in China, you, and you need to read up on that. Um, so, so what what would be the, so the issues it, there? It depends on how you behave, is, is whose room you're in, and and what is the context of the meeting. So, we have clients from the US in China. We've got I'm dealing with two gentlemen from Lyon at the moment. You know, mm-hmm. um, so I'm I'm gauging how I approach every meeting based on who's in the room and what the meeting's about. If it's a pure Chinese meeting. My colleague Felix will ask me to come in and say hello and then he'll ask me to leave because they don't want to speak in English. He wants me to go, right. come back in later. Um, it's quite hierarchical. So the word boss is used a lot in, in, in China. I don't use the, I wouldn't have used the word boss here. Colleague, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. China's quite hierarchical. Um, quite formal <coughs> for initial meetings. So very firm, kind of handshake, business card. And it's yes. handed over in a very specific way. And when someone hands you a business card, you must look at it, not just... Mm-hmm. Flick it across the table yeah. like this. See, I know I would. I'd just be. You, a I don't think it'd last zone. very long. No, yeah, you'd have yeah. to, I'd yeah. have to sit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> give you some intensive training. So, yeah. you read about this and then you do it, and then you'll be slightly corrected by your politely corrected by your Chinese colleagues as, as you go on. And the more meetings you have, um, the better you get at. It. And then 
there are the formal meetings and then there's a lot of um, meetings outside the office. So going for dinner is, is a big thing in China. Early, not too late, going and sitting down and having around the, the circular table. Mm-hmm. With them, yeah. You know, um, that's a big part of, of building the relationships also. You know? For you guys, um, what was the expectations uh, versus reality experience? Yeah, well, very similar to David's story. We, 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 we had a, a very clear strategy. We had a very clear kind of aspirations in terms of growth because we understood the market. We knew what we could offer. We knew what we couldn't offer. Multi-trillion. We, 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 we looked at the, the segments and sectors that we operate in. Um, and it's been, like, I mean, it's been an amazing story. We've had double-digit growth every year for the last 10 years. Um, and in Asia, we would have a similar amount of people. David, we've almost 300 people across our offices in Bangalore, Singapore. But but the China growth has been, you know, um, at a, a, a steep incline in, in the upper direction. So that was that was a very reassuring because you can have aspirations and you can you can you give and fail or you can you know not grow as fast as you as you wish to. Mm-hmm. So so we've been very very pleased with the with the with the with the annual growth over the last ten years, and that's we're celebrating our our, our ten year this year, um, and uh, that's a huge event, and we're very pleased with the very pleased with the performance of, of the China office. Now, David, um, I was speaking there about uh, sort of the social and cultural yeah. differences and, and <clears throat> you know, maybe there's more in China uh, than there is in the US, but the US isn't without uh, these differences and particularly, I would imagine, between the different regions. So that's the next thing I want to talk to you about. Um, your strategy uh, in in terms of uh, doing business in the different regions mm. and how one should uh, approach each of them. No, very good question because like, there's no doubt you mentioned Boston and uh, Boston is very close to Ireland in every sense, uh, geographically as well as culturally. And that's the reason that we launched in Boston because our attitude was very simple. If we couldn't bake it in Boston, we're going to come home, right? Yeah. But that was never going to happen. I, I've joked about this several times, but... The, uh, the hardest thing about going to the United States, or indeed, I bet you, about going to China, is taking the first flight. You know, because when we get there, we tend to make things work. You know, particularly with, with a very well-defined value proposition and a, and a sales team to go behind it. So, so our, our view was to, as I said earlier on, was to concentrate northeast region, right, between, say, particularly from Maine down to New York, uh, if you like. And then we always knew that when we were going to go to the West Coast, which there's a huge market in the West Coast, that we were going to do it in partnership. Not like not dissimilar to what Derek did in, in terms of China. They don't call them sponsors, but either to do with a strategic partner that had a, a customer base there already or to do through M&A activity. And likewise in, in, in down in, in Texas. Because the difference between Texas to Los Angeles to Boston is huge. It's almost like the difference between going from here to Russia. Wow. Uh, you know, and funny enough, in the early days, when Tom Walsh was our top salesman and he'll love to get a mention as well but when Tom Tom would ring me and say we've got to be based in Boston he said we've got this outstanding opportunity in Dallas I said Tom that's miles away <laughs> you know we have to we, we have a plan let's stick to the plan and, and Derek made a great point like when you agree what you're not doing the relief that it gives in those situations because you're not worried about what you lost you've yeah. made the decision you, you may have the decision may have been to postpone it but you're for this window of time for the first three years we're not going after it but I do think that to your point earlier on there are huge differences in culture in the United States of America from the east coast to the west coast to, to the southern states and they like have be, what? well it's just you, you can be very forceful with somebody in, in New York and that's the way they are themselves they want just a very, very simple way to A, B, C and D bang, bang, bang right to, to, to Derek's point earlier on it's not so much about relationship 
on the West Coast, it's different. It moves at a very slower pace, and they, they love to build this relationship with you before. So if you start jumping in hard in the, in the, on the West Coast, looking for the order, like we do here in Ireland, or even on the East Coast of the United States, there's a great chance you'll get rejected. So right. you, you need to recruit people that understand that. Ideally, they have a database themselves so they're not going uh, cold calling or anything like that. Uh, and that's one big fundamental difference between the two. And, and funny enough, the ironic part about it, on the East Coast, if you don't push them hard enough, they think you're not interested. So it's a sort uh, of a, right. it's getting the balance right between yeah. the two, and probably not in in, in Irish uh, people's nature to be overly pushy. Yeah. Uh, I, I would I wouldn't say. Well, I think we we, we can be pleasantly persistent. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but well, so, and even just so talk, we talk about Texas, right? And Texas is huge, right? Again, the difference between Texas and the West Coast is incredible. You have to invest in Texas. You have to have an office in Texas. I don't care how good you are. If, if we were best, if we were still remained in Boston or, and even on the West Coast, and we were trying to do business with large clients in Texas, they will not deal with you unless they know that you're investing in Texas. They're very proud, a bit like Cork here in Ireland. They want you to be there. <laughs> they want you to be there and to uh, to invest in it. And then, if you have a really good product, it flies. Uh, regions in China, yeah. Derek, talk to me. Okay, so we're actually branching out and are pulling together our strategy now for the next five to six years. So a lot of the activity in our sectors is around what they call the Yangtze Delta region, which is greater Shanghai. The Yangtze River comes in. It's amazing, actually. If you drive across it, it takes about six minutes to drive across the mount of the Yangtze. It's so wide. Um, a lot of our life sciences clients will be around that cluster. But we're doing some very, very interesting projects now. Um, one of them will have been just recently announced because uh, it's been highly confidential. We're actually doing a whiskey distillery for an international drinks company in a place Great. called uh, Sichuan Province, where Chengdu is. That's right in the kind of, I call it the middle, but they call it it's officially West China. We're doing two projects there at the moment. So we're kind of starting looking to move out of the greater Yangtze Delta area in, into other areas of China following some of this type of activity, which, to go back to David's point, we wouldn't have considered five years ago because it would have been too much management stretch, too much thinning out of the, of, of the people we need to drive this forward. Um, and also our market knowledge has vastly improved over the yes. years. We know now it's time to go to these other locations. We know what we need to do to now do our geographic growth in China. So mm. it's almost the interna- internationalization of of <laughs> of the China well, market because it's I mean, vast. That's a very good way of putting yeah. it, right? Yeah. Mm. And it's a continent, um, not a country. You know, yeah, really absolutely. Really yeah. Very good way of putting mm. it. Mm. And does the issue of Texas versus Boston arise yeah. there? I'm sure it does. Yeah, absolutely. This, you know, you can't say everyone's the same. North China very different than South China. The food is different. The culture is different. Mm-hmm. The communication style is different. So you have to know that as well. So what, what kind of differences are we talking about? Um, they're kind of subtle and nuanced. I mean, communication is, isn't direct like New York. It's mm. not, you ask someone in the US for an answer, they'll give you an answer. It might be the right answer, but they, you have to give you one. You mightn't get an answer at all um, in China. Mm. China's far more, there's a, there's a lady called Erin Meyer, did this uh, cultural uh, map of all the various countries across the across the world. And it goes in a very direct, you know, very direct ABC type conversations to much more nuanced, not very clear. You know, it might take several several minutes of conversation to actually get to the to the cool. crux. You just have to be not get frustrated by that. That's just the way it is. It's the way it is, you know. Um, so I would notice differences with people in Beijing versus Shanghai, Chengdu. Just nuanced because you're there a long time. You can't, <coughs> you know, you couldn't write down a list of ten things, but you could just. Uh, the subtleties of, of of communication would be would be slightly different, and the food. <laughs> yeah, you want spicy food, you go to Sichuan, and okay. Shanghai. Shanghai's people don't necessarily like spicy food. Okay. That's a huge uh, factor when you're when you're traveling. Yeah, because as you mentioned, the dinner culture is very yeah. important, yes. and, and all yes. that kind of thing. Yes. 
Um, now, your plans, Derek, for scaling up, you mentioned uh, that you're, you're kind of, as you call it, internationalising within mm. China. Mm. Just tell me how you see it going over the next five, ten years. What, what's kind of in your head? So what's in our head and what we're working on at the moment is, is to start off with a kind of regional satellite offices, mainly focusing on business development and, and, and sales because we have our kind of our engine, our machine in our central gravity in, in, in Shanghai and mm-hmm. engineers like to work together in groups, community of practice, all this kind of thing. Um, and the fact that we've got two very large projects in Sichuan and Chengdu, we can kind of build those regional business development people mm-hmm. around those existing projects and use those as a kind of a springboard. I mean, these are, I used to use football pitches to describe the size of projects. I mean, I did projects down in Limerick and it'd be mm. two football pitches <laughs> in Vistacon or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, the one of the projects in Sichuan is 135 football pitches. It's two and a half <laughs> times the size of the Drum Drum Shopping Centre. Uh, well, what uh, is it? It's it's confidential, but it's it's going to make a spirit. Uh, the world's largest selling spirit is called Baijiu, five billion litres wow. a year, and it's only drank in China. It ranges in price from over a grand dollars or sub prime one hundred dollars for a bottle. And we are working on a very large Baijiu facility um, for a confidential client in, in the Sichuan yeah, province. A lot moment. of valuable merchandise uh, in there. It won't, won't be nice for that price. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, you know, uh, yeah. but it sounds, re- it sounds really exciting. It is. Um, so, I mean, I- is there any uh, thoughts around servicing more sectors uh, than yes. you are now? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we stuck with the sectors that we're very familiar with, the biopharmaceutical. I mean, that's, that's uh, growing at a rapid rate. Indigenous Chinese companies moving into the pharmaceutical space, government funding, uh, IPO, VC funding. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of work still there. Um, food and beverage, like the ones I've mentioned, quite a bit of activity still there. We also explore other sectors called what we call advanced manufacturing. So there's a lot of work in the electrification, electric cars, lithium iron battery manufacturers. Chinese companies actually now starting to invest in, in Poland. Um, so they're starting to come out of out of China. Um, we are so we're kind of looking into those other other sectors, but they take a lot of work again to break into because they have their own. There's there's a, there's another competitor landscape there that we sure. have to navigate sure, through, sure. and pricing structure changes mm. as you move mm-hmm. from sector to sector. Yeah. You so know. again, the importance of of, hugely, of research uh, shines Before through. You <coughs> spend your energy and you know too early. Yeah. You need to get the research yeah, done first. Yeah. Uh, David, same question to you. Uh, expansion plans, uh, sectors, new ones, uh, all that, all that kind of stuff. I, I think we'll stick to the verticals, particularly in the United States, that we are presently acting in, in terms of our own direct marketing spend and customer acquisition strategy. However, we will look, and we are looking at acquiring new, more companies in the United States, in in different geographical areas, uh, and not just the United States uh, across uh, mainland Europe, uh, where we have the land, the language barriers that we that we that. Derek spoke about earlier on, but uh, so we're looking at that. That's how we're going to grow going forward. Continue to grow at the pace with our direct teams in certain markets, and then look at mergers and acquisitions in in new geographical areas. It's a big yeah pillar. Now the the growing by acquisition uh, strategy is obviously a very interesting one. Um, you know, obviously, I suppose maybe is the way to characterize it. It, it might be higher risk reward uh, than sort of going organically. I mean, what what would you say? Well, I think what, what in terms of our acquisition strategy. We're looking at acquiring companies that have channels, channels to market. The yeah. company that we bought in Los Angeles, what made them really exciting was the fact that they had a dealer network that sold their products and services. 
a thousand dealers. We, we saw firsthand how effective we were with five salespeople in the USA, right? And those five salespeople in the USA had to find a customer first, build that uh, relationship with the customer that we spoke about earlier on, uh, and then hope to sell to them. Whereas to, to acquire a company with a channel itself, you get that multiplier effect. So you can imagine having a thousand motivated salespeople in the United States of America with a customer base that they've dealt with for 35, 40 years, a bit like Derek was talking about earlier on, then that's a recipe for success. But it, it's not without its challenges. You know, yeah. so I think we, we know, uh, and I'm sure Derek would agree with this, what has been fundamentally important to our growth strategy and our success over the years was our specific culture that we have in NetWatch. And the challenge is, when you start acquiring companies, how you bring the very best of your culture, the very best of their culture together uh, to, to produce yeah. a two plus two equals six. Yeah, because that's that's the bit that's easy to forget, isn't it? Because uh, you um, might say, I mean, you, you obviously have a clear advantage in doing this deal. You've got really good distribution coming on board, but... There's yeah. another piece that has to be done. <clears throat> a very important piece. I'm not saying it's the most important piece, but to your point, it's a piece that a lot of companies forget about until it's too late. And yeah. it's far easier to build a culture than it is to repair a culture at a later stage. I'm going to ask both of you what you would do differently uh, if you were doing it all over again. And Derek, I'm going to ask you first. Um, yeah, I, I, it's always good. There's always things you would do <laughs> differently. Personally, I mean, my decision to go to China was one of the probably the best decisions I've made in my career because it's just been an absolutely amazing experience and one of which I I mean I don't know if I would do anything differently actually just 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 being part of this journey has been been marvelous you know I think rather than looking back what I do differently I'm using the the, the experiences gained to see to inform what we're going to do in in, in the future um like with all businesses we we have ups and downs and challenges um clients can be difficult people can be difficult um but nothing is insurmountable, to be honest with you, when you have a good team. So I think what I would do is not do anything different. I would absolutely, we're very lucky with the core team that we secured at the very start, building that kind of nucleus. And I think if you started again and didn't have that, would you be, you know, would you be as successful? So we're a people business. And a lot of the, Mm -hmm. David has just said, you've repeated it, the the P words many, many, many times, culture and people. Um, And I think us, Leveraging and using our employee-owned type culture in a country like China, people resonate. That attracts like iron filings to yeah, a magnet. That's interesting. They go, yeah. this is different. These guys are different, um, and they value. We value our employees hugely and invest a huge amount of time and effort in, into our people, and they see that and respect that and like that. So, I'd like to. Yeah, that's kind of my my summary. David, what would you do differently? There's a lot of things we do differently. But if I was thinking at a very macro level in, in terms of two things, I mentioned at the very start of this conversation that day one when we started Netwatch, we wanted to be a global organisation. I, I don't consider being in the UK global. Uh, so one thing I would have done differently uh, is we would move to the USA faster because the market was there. and it was. I know we were trying to get our, all our ducks in a row before we went, but I would go faster. And in order to make that happen, I would have taken on, uh, given the time over again, external capital faster as in private equity. You yeah. know, so in the early days, and a lot of companies do this, you grow your business through gross margin, and then you get a bit more ambitious and you take on loans, probably short term, then you take on long term loans, and the evolution is to something like a private equity company. A private equity company, and we have Riverside on board, they give you serious options. Yeah. In, in terms of exponential growth. Now I'm sure yeah. we're, we'll do, we're going to do an episode on that down the road, but yeah. while I have you, <clears throat> it's a very interesting point you raise because people, um, Understandably, they might get a bit nervous about private equity and they feel, mm-hmm. you know, that there'll be very stringent kind of uh, 
new procedures put in place and you know these guys are going to look for an exit down the road mm-hmm. uh, what what does all that mean but I remember speaking to somebody who said actually the best thing they found about uh, doing a deal with a private equity company was the professionalism that they brought to the business just proper board meetings proper corporate governance Absolutely. Uh, and I, I don't know what your experience was but that, that was just something that always stuck with me when this mm. person told me that because it, it, to be honest it wasn't something I, I kind of thought about but this yeah. person said the value of that discipline uh, was something they, they found really beneficial I mean what was it uh, about private equity that you found uh, most beneficial? Well, 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 I think from our perspective, again, and, and different companies are different. So we come from a situation where the CEO is the, was the founder of the company as well. So, 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 and, and still a significant shareholder in the organisation. So the private equity company is the single largest investor in Netwatch. Uh, I'm a very large uh, investor myself. So my uh, uh, objectives and theirs are completely aligned, for starters, right? But there is no doubt that there is a cultural shift in the organisation when the private equity company comes on board to all the points you made earlier on. But then again, you, 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 I, I, I'm very, very comfortable with the decision we made on this grounds. So we go from zero to 560-odd people over the last 17 years in Netwatch. I've no doubt in my mind that come another three years, we'll have over 1,000 people yeah. in the organisation. We'll be doing well in excess of 150 million, sorry, 120 million in, in contracted revenue. You, you do need a different type of discipline in those types of organisations. Now, too often us uh, entrepreneurs and particularly founder uh, CEOs are slow to let go because we want to keep it. We're, we're concerned about our staff that have been loyal to us over the years and things might change and, and they do change. But once there's a communication in advance as to what the, the new world has to look like, well, then it yeah. becomes easier. And, 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 and again, for all the people who work in Netwatch, their objectives, whether they recognise it or not, are completely aligned to Riverside's objectives in terms of growing the business. Yes, they have a window, right, in terms of where the, where they want to invest in organisations like Netwatch, but that's when they stood up front. Yeah. You, know, so. you go in with your eyes open. You go in with your eyes open and, and, and the whole idea is, is growing, really, from our perspective, in terms of growing that, sorry, growing that global organisation, it makes complete sense. Final question then, lads. Uh, Derek, your uh, top do's and don'ts for businesses listening to this podcast who are thinking about okay. expanding to China. Okay, well, the first do is do your research. I, I can say that again <coughs> and, and, and target it and do know what it is you're offering. Um, be very, very clear whether it's a product or a service. You know, specifically, what are you offering in China to whom, what your pricing strategy is, what your marketing strategy is, mm-hmm. right, everything. So you'd have to go through. So that's do, do that, plan well and, and do your research. Um don't. <laughs> um, there's probably lots of don'ts, but I mean, I mean, one of the big things was, was don't, don't get frustrated. Uh, it's mm. a very different place with a very different communication style, a different way of doing business. I see people getting frustrated quite a lot. So uh, don't get frustrated. Show respect and um, adapt to your environment. Don't try change it because it's been like that for thousands of years. Mm. So <laughs> that's... Yeah. David? I think one of the key things I would say to anybody thinking of going into foreign markets and particularly the USA where we have huge experience is that there are fantastic supports out there. There really is. We all, we, we've both mentioned Enterprise Ireland a couple of times but they do extraordinary work. I mean extraordinary work particularly in the United States. Like when we met them in Boston first you know they were incredibly open in terms of the professional services that we needed to have to set up the company in the first place. Friendly Irish or Irish friendly I should say uh, uh, solicitors 
uh, accountants who ordinarily could be charging a thousand dollars an hour were being sympathetic to set up the companies in the first place and then beyond that in terms of getting the market intelligence that allows you to grow and develop the business is critically important but there are other supports out there as well including the US Embassy which has been very very constructive with ourselves and a company called Select USA based out of the Irish Embassy and their their function is almost like the IDA here right yeah. in, in that for, for Irish companies invested in America give them all the support structures that are there the US Chamber of Commerce now is looking in the opposite direction, which is fantastic. Their, their, their sole uh, motivation in the early days was obviously to work with uh, US companies based in Ireland. Now they're looking the other way around in the context of helping Irish companies grow in the States. And I think one other factor which is critically important, there are an awful lot of Irish companies presently working in the United States of America, about 800, right, which are very successful companies. We are only too eager to help newcomers and other companies that start. Netwatch has 250,000 customers in the United States of America. I have absolutely no doubt there are lots of people listening here today that would be able, would, would have products and services that they could t- to sell to those companies as well. And we got great help ourselves in Netwatch. When, when we started over there first, one of Derek's competitors, a smaller company in Sligo called Lotus. Yeah. Lotus Works, great company, right? So when we started first, I met Fergal Broder, the, 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 the owner of it, CEO, and he said, look, Boston's a huge market. Go for it. But here's what you'll do. Use our offices as your office for the start. Go there. Spend six months there. You have our offices. You have a network through our people in terms of who to deal with. The very first day I was there, we got the first inquiry we ever got in the United States of America from one of their customers who, for confidentialities, I won't mention their name. Today, we still get a quarter of a million dollars in managed service fees off them almost 10 years later. And there are others, that there's lots of other companies out there, Irish companies that we network with, that we benchmark against, and they would be a huge source of help to young companies going to the States. And my overall advice to anybody that's really going, looking to, to, to expand, the United States is a massive market. Thank God in this conversation, none of us mentioned the B word. Yeah, well, <laughs> least, that's, least, that's rare at, these days. At least not yet. Yeah. But the US market does offer a huge opportunity, irrespective of Brexit, irrespective yeah. of it. It offers an outstanding opportunity for Irish companies that are ambitious and have a value proposition that ticks the boxes. And any don'ts? I say don't expect everything to happen as fast as you planned. Don't believe for one moment that being Irish is going to get you business. As I said earlier on, it will get you into the boardrooms of corporate America, and that's very, very important, that first step. But you do need have to ha- you, you do need to be very clear in terms of your value proposition and in terms of the value you can bring to those organisations. When you get the two together, it's success. Well, that makes sense to me. We'll leave it there, guys. Thanks very much for coming in. That's David Walsh, Chief Executive of Netwatch, and Derek Moles, Managing Director for Asia at PM Group. And that's it for the first edition of the Grow Your Business podcast. We'll be back next week talking about how to make acquisitions. How do you identify a company that's worth buying? How do you negotiate the best purchase price? And how do you integrate your acquisition into your company? Join us to find out. Grow Your Business from News Talk with Gavin McLaughlin. Thanks to Euronext Dublin, the new home of the Irish Stock Exchange, supporting business for over 200 years.